be the glory. What a great morning. What a great day to be in the house of God. And um, I just love Titus. Titus is such a wonderful little fella. Uh, he and I have had just the best relationship uh, over his short little life. And uh, we have a great love for all things Chick-fil-A. And uh, we talk about those things often. And uh, he was... Uh, Tell him he was a, he was a little bit nervous this morning, so I was trying to talk with him a little bit, and he told me he said, uh, "Preacher Steve, he says I, I figured this thing out. I've been thinking about. It. I figured it out. He said it's going to be just like the Titanic." And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no, no nothing, <laughs> nothing that we're doing today is going to be like the Titanic." He said, "No, I'm just th- I'm going to be floating a little bit, you know." I'm, but and he was telling all about the propeller. I said, "No, no, 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 nothing. We're not. You're not going to be bobbing up down. No, 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 no. Forget all that." So we um we made it through it and. Uh, uh, anyway, but he has a great way with his words of uh, explaining sometimes complex things in a real um, simple way. And uh, I love that about kids. They kind of don't complicate things and they just, you know, they just tell you like it is, you know. Um, in our culture today, they, they say, you know, if, 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 if a girl says that, that you're ugly, she's jealous. If a guy says that you're ugly, he's being mean. And if a kid says you're ugly, you're just ugly. You know, it's just, uh, they just get to the point real quick. Um, you know, but uh, anyway, uh, this morning I want to continue on this uh, theme of, of the reality of the culture war in which we are in today and how we engage that culture. And, you know, sometimes we think that uh, our world today is so much different uh, than the world of the past, and and it is with respect to a lot of uh, freedoms that we enjoy today, as we call it, the accoutrements of life. Uh, but society uh, hasn't really changed a whole lot. Uh, everybody's still worshiping something. We all love our idols, and um, you know we'll make them quick, and we love to polish them, uh, and we love to get in these arguments about whose idols are the best. And our culture is still like that. And uh, Paul, in the middle of Acts 19, is kind of in the midst of what I see as just a a real clear mirror uh, image of where we are as a culture today. And some of the same uh, tactics of the enemy uh, that are used there against Paul are what we are experiencing in our culture today. Uh, And so I think we can gain a lot of perspective from that, but more importantly, we can find a real strategy for how it is that we defeat uh, the, the enemy today. You know, the God, God's Word tells us that we're engaged in a spiritual warfare, in, in a war. And that, that these things are, you know, are, are not just blood. These things are, are spiritual wickedness. Uh, and, and they're taking place in the heavenly realm. And so we have to fight God's way. And we have to defeat these arguments God's way. And obviously we have to live our lives in a manner that is pleasing unto the Lord. So I want to begin in uh, Acts chapter 19, and uh, we'll start there uh, in verse 23, and we'll pick it up there, and we'll read through the, the remaining part of that chapter, verse 41. Now, it's a lot of reading, but it's, it's important that we kind of get the context of where this is going at. Um, so I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Verse 23 uh, begins this way, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. 
For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out from the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found that he was uh, a Jew, all with one voice they cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quietened the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? And therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples or blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this account, uh, Lord, in the history and the life of Paul as he is uh, traveling and planting churches. And Lord, I pray today, uh, a lot of reading here, God, but I pray that, uh, Lord, you would help me be focused on the truth of your scripture to uh, put this in, in, in a way, God, that would encourage the saints, deepen our faith, Lord, and call us to a place to be accountable, to be convicted, and, Lord, to be used by uh, your will and for your glory. We love you. And Lord, may I preach faithfully today as a dying man to dying people, and we give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, remember when we talk about this war in our culture today, this war is about authority. Uh, this war is about control. It's a war about truth. It's a war about the future as it relates to our nation. And, and ultimately, it is a war for people and their eternity. Uh, because heaven is real and hell is real. And there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And uh, Adrian Rogers used to say that, you know, most people see the gospel for those who, who are the drug addicted uh, drunkard that's living under the overpass, and it is for them. But he said most people are strutting their way into hell pridefully with their nose high in the air. 
Because there are those that we live amongst that feel like if God's lucky to have me. Uh, God's kingdom will be so blessed to have me. And, and it's something that I may or may not choose to do. But, but boy, when I do, what a, what a blessing God will have in me. Uh, there's, a, there's a level of arrogance and pride in our culture today. And most people uh, just remain or want to remain in this area of being agnostic toward the things of God. But God doesn't allow us to do that. God doesn't allow us to do that. We make a decision one way or another about the things of God. Either they are going to be uh, embraced as truth, or they will be outright denied uh, as, as being false. And so we see that in the text today. So when we engage our culture, we need to understand that there are those in our culture that are merely sheep, that are, they're just lost. And I say that they're sheep, meaning that you know sheep need a shepherd, and they've been taught something. And what it is that they may believe is a result of them being raised or reared in a particular way, and that's what they believe. The, the, the enemy to the gospel is not necessarily those who believe something that is false. The enemies of the gospel are those who teach the things that are false. They are the wolves. There's a difference, right? Uh, just a story, um, Allison and I ran into a family recently and uh, uh, this particular person uh, was, was raised as a Jehovah's, uh, I call them Jehovah's false witnesses, but they were raised as a Jehovah's witness. And uh, her mother, somewhere along the uh, way, uh, she was divorced and she met a man and, and he, was, uh, he was a Baptist, I believe, and he took his Bible and as they began to, uh, you know, just know each other and understand each other and what they believed, uh, he began to uh, teach the, the mother uh, some things that were wrong uh, with what she believed. And over a period of time, she embraced the truth of the Word, left that, and because she walked away from that, her children walked away from that. And so today, uh, her, her, her children and now her grandchildren are living out their faith as Christians because one person chose to take a sheep that was lost and show them the Word of God, the truth of Scripture, and allow God to do this supernatural work in their life. And now generations are being changed because of that truth. The enemy is not people who, who are out here believing something different. The enemy are those who are teaching this false uh, gospel as truth, this false way as truth. The wolves are the ones that need to be defeated. The sheep need a shepherd. And we know who the shepherd is, amen? And we need, to, we need to, to do what we can in handling the Word of God properly to win those people to Jesus Christ. And that is the method that we see in Acts and in the New Testament. When we pick this story up in verse 23, Paul is planting churches and people are being saved. And notice in verse 23 it says, uh, And about the time there arose a great commotion about the way. Not a way, but the way. See, the idea that Jesus is the only way is not a preacher's thing. It's not a denominational thing. It's God's very word. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father unless he come through me. And remember, Jesus said, I am the door, right? He is being very uh, emphatic about this understanding that there is only one way, there is the way. And that's what they're upset about. Notice what Demetrius says here. 
Uh, he is a man who has much to gain and as it relates to the profit of selling these trinkets and whatnots and shrines of Diana, who is this, this, this great marvel, wonder of the world, and people are running to Ephesus on vacation to, to get a tour of it. Ephesus is a very large city, port city, a lot of economic activity go through there. And when we talk about economic activity, we're talking about a lot of money. That's what an economy is. It is the, it is the spreading around and it is the, the back and forth, the exchanging of, of money. And so here's Ephesus, a, a large place, a, a, a city where a lot of people are coming in and out of, and it's a city where a lot of money is being passed. And these people are making money off of folks coming and gazing upon the, the great temple of, of Diana, known as one of the wonders of the world at the time. And so they're gaining great profit. Now I want you to see the strategy here. Because this is exactly what is happening in our culture today. Look at, look at the, 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 the debate, what it's about, and, and the shift here. Here's this man. He's a silversmith. He makes these shrines, and it says that it brought no small profit. Okay? He's making money off of it, right? Selling money. Very common. Uh, the Greeks were known, and the Romans too, for having just a pantheon of gods. Uh, if, if they believed that there was something to be gained, and I've said this before, but you've you got to understand, they, they, they loved the idea of, of gods. And the more they had and the more they could burn incense to and bow to and worship, they just felt like they would be better people for it. Their lives would be better. Uh, crops would be better. Just everything would be better if we just had the right number of gods, we burnt the right number of incense, we said the right things. And so you've got to understand, they believed that by buying this shrine of Diana and burning incense to it and worshiping Diana, that this brought some level of fortune, good fortune, to them. Well, Paul made it a point to tell them that they were wrong. And that all of the, of the, of the gods of the Greeks did nothing. And that it would, it would not do anything except comfortably send you out into an eternity that is not going to be with Christ. So he taught them the way. The way. What a simple message. He just taught them the way. He taught them the truth. And in our culture today, where we're being gaslighted on all kinds of fronts with, with untruths, the way we battle evil is with the truth. We battle evil with the truth. We, we expose the lie to the truth. And that is what Paul is doing. And it's having an effect. People are getting saved. And as a result, there is substantive change in the lives of these people who are embracing the way. They're not continuing to burn incense to Diana. They're not continuing to go by the shrines. No, they've walked away from that. Because that's what Christian people do. We once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. We have turned. We've repented of our sins, and we're walking with God, and we're in fellowship with God, and we're living a life worthy of the call of God on our life. It's not without its imperfections, but we're walking away from constant sin in our lives. It bothers us. When we mess up, there's conviction there brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're called to grow and we're called to make disciples and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we learned last week and we talked about Romans by, by the transformation of our minds. 
And interestingly, we understand neurologically, when you believe something, your brain starts building a network in your brain to support that belief. So if you believe truth, and you're engaged in that truth, and that truth is reinforced, you're building this supportive network in your brain that, that helps you understand and believe and embrace and stand in that faith. So whatever it is you believe, whether it be the truth or whether it be a lie, your brain is building a structure to support that. See, that's why salvation is not about just convincing people with our charisma and our words. The Bible tells us that salvation is a supernatural work of God. Because see, God has to destroy that stronghold that's been built in your brain by you believing a lie. That's why in our culture today, we look at people and we think, I don't understand why they would believe that there's, that there's more than two genders. I don't understand how, how, how we can believe our monetary policy makes any sense. And the reason that we don't understand those things is because God is not the author of confusion. The devil is. And we need to understand that there are those in our society and in the world today, they are wolves, these people are demonic constructs, and they are willfully, deliberately deceiving people and even making policy that is not progressive, it is pagan in nature, and it is regressive, and it will destroy Western civilization as we know it. And that is their goal. And if you don't believe that, you don't have to, but I believe it. I think there's overwhelming evidence of that. Uh, and we're seeing it right before our eyes in, in living color every day, in real time. And the reason we realize that this is just not a political movement is because nobody gains from this idea of this. Nobody gains from a monetary policy like we have today. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. Nobody benefits from devaluating your dollar and what you have and then raising interest rates so now you can't afford anything. Nobody benefits from that. Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, part of the Green Party, or whoever knows what else, your eggs are costing the same amount as mine. Nobody benefits from that. Why is that? Because it's not a political movement. This is, this is a demonic activity, a demonic construct being brought forth in policy for the purpose of crippling or destroying Western civilization as we know it. Why is that? Because Western civilization has been the greatest propagation of the gospel in the history of mankind. That's why. That's why. And so it seeks to destroy that. And you've got to understand, this is the way it's always been. We're, near, we're almost 2,000 years into this. Almost 2,000 years. Planting churches, discipling people, growing the kingdom of God. So Paul's planting churches. He's telling people of the way they're getting saved and it's hurting their economy. People are not buying the shrines anymore. Now notice what he does here. You, you should see this as a similar tactic today. He called them all together in verse 25. Workers of a similar occupation. They're organizing. And he says, Me and you know that we have our prosperity by this trade, which, by the way, that is the issue. That is their issue. Now he's going to do just like what we see going on in our culture today. 
What he just said is really the foundational truth of why this is an issue. But he's going to pivot. He's going to do what everybody in our culture today does. They're going to sell you something else as the problem that it affects you and you should be concerned about it, but the real issue has nothing to do with the narrative that they're selling you. Sound familiar? Yeah. Just turn the television on every day. You're going to be gaslit, and you're going to get some narrative that is to lead you away from the truth. Happens every day. Fox, NBC, doesn't matter which one. Happens every day. Notice what he says. He says, me and you know... This is our prosperity. I got kids that are ready to graduate. We got to go to college, man. One wants to go to Harvard. I'm losing money. He didn't say that, but that's what he said. He said, moreover, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia. This is, in other words, this is a worldwide problem. It's a worldwide problem, folks. And, and if, you would, if you would just listen to our environmental arguments, you'd understand that you are the reason the world's going to perish. Sound familiar? If you'll just stop enjoying your life, everything will be better. That's the argument. He says, this Paul has persuaded, turn everybody away from people, turn away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. And he says, and so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute. Again, that's the issue. But he pivots. He says, but also the temple. Oh man, the, the great, the temple, the tourism business, don't you care? Don't you care? The tourism business is going to be hurt. Nobody's going to come and tour the the temple and worship Diana and that's, that's the way we've always done it before. We cannot do it that way. Don't you care? I mean, man, if you're, if you're a proud Ephesian, you're going to be upset about this. In verse 28, boy, when they heard it, they were full of wrath and they all cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Just fill in whatever slogan you're going to hear today. Same, same thing. Gaslight you over here on this end to sneak in something over here. Same thing. So verse 29 tells the whole city was confused. And they all rushed into the theater with one accord, seizing people. Sound like our culture today? Notice a little later here, in verse 32, it says, Some cried out one thing, some another, for the whole assembly was confused, and most of them did not even know why they had come together. That sounds like our culture today. Folks lining up, protesting for the sake of protesting. Just want to be with the crowd. Stick their hand, you know, stick their finger in the wind and find what direction the, the, the winds of change are blowing. And I'm going to be over there and I'll hold my sign and I'll act like a complete fool. 
just to blend in. I'll hold my sign up. My personal pronouns are it, purple, penguin, and they. And be a complete fool for the spirit, the stage of this age, man. Because I'm, I'm in my you know, freshman year of college. I got a $300,000 Pell Grant in underwater basket weaving, and I'm going to do something with that when I graduate. Good luck. Paul says, I didn't even know why they were there. We're just, we're just, oh, something's going on in the theater. Let's show up. And they run in there. Out of control, the mob. Verse 33 says, they put Alexander up there and he's going to just try to reason with people. Right? Understand when... When you're reasoning with somebody, there, there has to be some foundational truth to reason with. You know, even in, in our culture, you go back 30 years ago, you could find people on different, from different political perspectives. But we had some foundational truth that we could agree on, and we could sit at a table, we could go to a restaurant, we could go to a ball game together and we could do some things together and we weren't at odds with each other. Why has that changed? Because foundationally, we do not understand what truth is anymore as a culture. And they're in the same situation. Alexander tries to reason with the people. And when they find out who he is, he's not a Greek, he's a Jew, they don't even listen to him. Sound familiar? Let a guy show up on a college campus today to debate somebody while they're an absolute lunatic because they believe that you that gender is a construct. You let somebody show up to say, look man, you need help. And by, and by the way, it, this, it sounds ridiculous and almost comical but you need to understand something this is this is derangement this is derangement and you got to understand when you look back at the last four or five uh, mass shootings in our country these have been the folks that have done it I'm transitioning to be a guy I'm transitioning to be a girl I'm loaded up on some experimental drug I'm not making that up. This is, this is dangerous to accept because it is a complete demonic construct. There is no truth to it. And a country that embraces that cannot stand. He gets up, he tries to reason with people. And they shout him down for two hours. That's exactly what happens in our culture today. You know why? Because the, the lie, the enemy doesn't want to hear the truth. And the enemy doesn't want other sheep to hear the truth. And so they just shouted for two hours, Great as Diana! Great as Diana! Great as Don't even give the guy a chance to speak. Because they don't want to hear the truth. 
This is fundamentally what's wrong with evangelism in the church in America today. We're in this bait and switch thing. We try to outwow the world to get a crowd, and then we do the switch. And the reality is the idea of building a church service around lost people to draw them in, that is not a biblical concept. I know it, that's what we do to some extent. And I believe anytime you step in the pulpit, you ought to tell people about Jesus and the gospel. I, I totally get that. But understand that if you read the New Testament, people are not getting saved at church. They're getting saved out in the world and then they're brought to church. Because it is the church that is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And the songs that we sing, the world's not interested in those songs. They're not. And Paul's preaching the gospel, telling people in the culture, your way is the wrong way. I know the way. And I want to show you that way. And by the power of God, they got saved. They repented of their sins. They turned away from their, their, their fake, phony idols and they, they worshiped the God of glory. And they brought together in a local assembly. It might have been a room. It might have been a house. It might have been an arbor. But there was a place that they gathered and they worshiped God and they sung songs to His name and they were discipled. And that's what a church is supposed to do, to make disciples. But our, our emphasis today is on outwowing the world. You're not going to outwow the world, man. You're not. That's not our job. Our job is to engage people relationally with the gospel and allow God sovereignly to bring about the change needed in that person's life. And I want to tell you, if we'll, if we'll stop putting up the privacy fences and building bridges to our neighbors, we'd have far more of an impact. We, we, we have folks today and they want to live in a subdivision on a 100 by 100 lot and then talk about, I have no privacy. Of course you don't. Look where you're living, man. If you wanted privacy, you probably shouldn't have moved there. No, we're going to build a 12-foot privacy fence, insulate it with soundboard, put some decibel meters up, all over the yard, and when it gets above 75, we're going to call the authorities. Boy, you're a great neighbor. No, we, we need to build relationships with the people that we work with, our family, our neighbors, because those are the people that we're most likely to have an impact on for Jesus. So Paul's preaching, he's making disciples, the church is growing, and the devil's upset, which by the way is a testimony that you're doing the right thing. Here's old Paul. You know, the guy who once was Saul, the guy who had the position, the pedigree, and lots of power. And influence. All of those things are what people in the world today are striving for. Paul had all of that. Great legacy, great history, great heritage. But he said, I've forsaken all of that for the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm willing to be brought to nothing for that cause. And we need to understand 
that the culture that we are engaged with today is a real enemy. They're adversaries to the truth of God. And the devil wants his disciples too. And we got to understand that we cannot insulate ourselves from being a part of this war. We can't. There's not a place you can go in America. There's not a place you can live in that's going to insulate you from what the enemy is trying to push down our throat. See, Paul understood something about the way. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest impactful moment to Western civilization in the history of mankind. You do not have America, you don't have democracy, and you don't have freedom without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have it. Whether you're lost, you could care less. There is not anybody today without the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the New Testament Every single person is still walking up the top of some mount, chucking their kid in a volcano in hopes of a good corn crop. That's where we're at without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next week is Easter. It's a celebration of that. Paul said that if Christ be not risen, among everybody we're the most miserable. We're to be pitied because we believe this. The things we value, the things we enjoy, they are a direct outpouring, an outcropping of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the faith in that and the proportion of that by faith and to persevere through the ages. We have it today. See, Paul understood something and we need to understand something that our faith, our faith, strong faith, as we Embrace it and we grow in it and we trust it and we stand in it. We are going to face persecution personally. We're going to face it even professionally. You will find that if you are serious about the things of God, it will cost you your friends and it may very well cost you your job or, or, or your advancement in your career. But you overcome that by having a mission. Paul had a mission. When he leaves this and we pick up in chapter 20, you know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing. He's going to a town. He's preaching the word of God. He's establishing churches and so on and so forth. He did that until he showed up in Rome and he lost his life for the gospel. That was what he did. He had a mission. Every man needs a mission. Every man needs an adventure. Every man needs a, a problem to solve. Men, men, men are not the kind of people that are going to get together in a, in, in a circle and talk about our problems. That's not men's ministry. Men don't, have, men don't want to have a thing in the world to do that with that. But you show us something that needs to be solved, you give us a mission, you give us an adventure, and we're on it because we want to fix something. And if it means breaking things along the way, that's even better. You can't have construction without deconstruction. Remodeling without demolition. 
Men need a mission. You are the leader of your home. And if your children are going to get this, much of that is going to depend upon you. And if it is of no concern to you, it will be of no concern to your next generation. It won't. We need a strong mission. We need to rely on the strong power, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, it is not our feeble arguments that are causing people to come to Christ. It is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And when, when you have a friend or a relative or somebody you work with and they're agnostic, they don't believe the things, the greatest thing you can do is live your life openly as a lover of Jesus Christ before them and pray, pray, pray that God would get a hold of their soul because He never sleeps and He never slumbers. And I want to tell you, when Jesus gets on you, He's there 24-7 and you cannot run away. David said, if I went into the clouds, I couldn't get away from you. If I went into the depths of the ocean, I couldn't get away from you. You cannot run from God. That is our greatest, our greatest weapon in this war is the power of prayer in His Word. Strong power. And ultimately, we rely on that hope, that strong hope that God is sovereign over all matters. Paul wants to go down there and he sees those that he's influenced and they're getting attacked and he wants to show up and they're saying, Paul, you don't need to go down there. They're, they're mad at them because of you and if you show up, they're going to kill you, Paul. But with that, what did it do? It propelled him farther. Propelled him further. No doubt today, there's adversity in your life. There's adversity you're facing. It may not be at this level, but it's still real. You know, I, I know this past week, a bunch of stuff tore up. All first world problems, but problems nonetheless, you know. We all have adversity, frustration. I want to tell you, folks, the church is here today because the saints made a choice to persevere. And if the church is going to be here for our children, it'll be because we choose to persevere. They're not carrying the banner yet. I mean, they have their level of responsibility as a child of God, certainly, no doubt. But the adults in our land that name the name of Jesus, as we sang, there's, there's just something about their name, that name. Kings and kingdoms, they'll all pass away. And they absolutely will, including this nation. But His name will always be. His kingdom will forever stand. And there will always be a remnant of His church, of the faithful, until He calls us home. We have a simple choice. It's a hard choice, but it's a simple choice. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to persevere? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That must be our commitment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we do not, if we do not, not only will we not enjoy what we're enjoying now, but, but we, won't enjoy, we won't enjoy the freedoms we have as a nation or anything. We have to choose to persevere. There will be a church tomorrow because the saints of today chose to persevere. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Father God, we thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, that today you're still on the throne.
And that, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, you're still in the saving business, Lord. You call us to repentance. You call us to faith. You call us to surrender. Not a mere commitment, but you call us to surrender. And God, today is the day and now is the appointed time. And I pray that, God, if there are any today, whether they're listening online or the podcast later or in this very sanctuary, if they don't know you as Lord of their life, substantive change brought about through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, give us, give them the strength today to stand up, to step out in faith, to come. We give you the glory for what you will do. Have your way in every heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, church.